and welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, and I was going to launch into uh, Francais there as the as the canon was uh, bilingual. <laughs> but uh, I, I remembered that we you know, we need to deliver this uh, this way. So. Bonjour tout le monde. There you go, there. That's How's that? <laughs> Great. That's my Our concession bi- to the... Our bilingual credentials are secured for another yes. five years. So there you go. I need at least one more uh, course with, I don't know, Babel or whatever's going. Yeah. Wow. EC open sources. Yeah, that's a pretty high bar. Anyway, <laughs> open, open sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. And you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. But this week, though, we're just doing the news again. And that is including climate change. The IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, just released their latest in-depth report about the state of climate change. And it was not good news. And then we will go to Hungary, where Viktor Orban has become a hero of sorts to right-wing activists in North America. Certainly uh, a hero to certain... D, uh, certain TV dinner heiresses with a show on Fox News. Uh, I wish I hadn't screwed up that joke, but there you go. <laughs> uh, so we're going to learn more about what's going on in Hungary this week. And then finally, with the Olympics over now, at least the um, one part of the Summer Olympics over in Tokyo, uh, we will continue with Olympic politics, especially considering that the Winter Olympics in Beijing are just a few months away. And there are some new hiccups with that. But first, uh, there were so many topics that, like, this, you know, potential topics. I wrote down a few. Uh, Brian Pallister mm-hmm. resigned in Manitoba this week. Uh, Afghanistan, they're now predicting that the Taliban uh, might take over Kabul uh, within several weeks. Uh, Andrew Cuomo resigned uh, in, in New York. Uh, the My Pillow guy uh, surprisingly <laughs> found no evidence of electoral fraud, but he's still having a three-day conference to talk about it. Delta outbreak is going on and on and on, and some anti-vaxxers in the UK didn't do the research about where the BBC is currently located. I, I like that one. Yeah, <laughs> we we could have a whole three-day event of our own to talk about all these things. But I know, but. Uh, uh, that's a little levity to start off the sad topic of the uh, the first topic of the show, which is the passing of Bill Davis at the age of 92. One of the longest serving premiers uh, that Ontario has ever had. Second most, second longest serving. I think he was the longest lived Ontario premier. Uh, still well liked. There were a lot of people in Brampton um, the day he died singing his praises. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting not interesting, but it, 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 in sort of like a, yay, this is interesting way. But, you know, uh, it reminded me earlier this year, like we pretty much started the year with uh, Norm Jerry here in Guelph, the former mayor of Guelph dying. And he's kind of from the same time period. Um, Norm Jerry in City Hall, Bill Davis in, in Queens Park. And it's kind of the same period, like just with not just because it was literally the same calendar period, but it was like, like a lot there was a lot happening big changes, um, big institutional changes, big things being built. It's so it's, it's in that way. And in, in that way, it's kind of interesting that, 
you know, we've had Norm Jerry die, and several months later, we've had Bill Davis pass away too within the same calendar year. Mm-hmm. The old the old order. Yet at one point they were kind of the new the mm-hmm. new order. But there, and I'm I'm not entirely sure of Norm Jerry's politics, but I both Bill Davis and Norm Jerry probably fall into that category of that progress the you know the kind of conservative that we don't see anymore the progressive conservative even though in Ontario they're still called that uh you see hints of it I guess in people like John Tory who was as a young man worked for uh, for Bill Davis right wasn't he his secret his secretary parliamentary secretary at one point I guess or whatever the provincial level is of that category mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. And same with Patrick. There was a, a where did I see the article with Patrick Brown? Patrick National Brown Post. saw. Sorry. National Post. National Post. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I would never admit to reading it, but yeah, I guess that's <laughs> where I saw it. Um, <laughs> had an article as well about how he saw um, Bill Davis as a mentor, and as we know, Patrick Brown is now the mayor of Brampton, so I think he backed him on that. Um, yeah, principal secretary. That's right. So I, I forgot mm-hmm. about that. But yeah, in terms of. In terms of legacy, which is also something that I don't think people in those positions have anymore. Mm-hmm. Bill Davis is, is actually quite large, and it started before he was premier because he was the education secretary of the province. And most of the big ticket changes that still you know resonate today, like, well, the college system for one, which was something that was happening all over, but he sort of steered that into uh, happening in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we mentioned it last week too. Ontario Place. He opened Ontario Place. He wasn't behind it, but he was in government when that uh, occurred. So we actually it was weirdly we talked sort of. He I think he was mentioned in passing last week. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of these legacy things that he was at least a part of, but some directly responsible for. And uh, you know that's and T, he gets credit for uh, creating TV Ontario as well, which was pretty forward thinking for its day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was I was thinking back to like TVO was one channel I was allowed sort of like unlimited access to because of <laughs> because of the nature of it, right? But even though in retrospect a lot of it was just you know bought from the UK and you know the parents watched it too, I suppose <laughs> some of the mm-hmm. shows that weren't necessarily for kids. But no commercials, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, these are the kind of things we don't see anymore. Dumping that much money into education and educational things. Whereas the trend now is to cut. And like I said, most the, the educational aspect of, of what Davis did, the majority of it happened before he was even premier, right? So the legacy was sealed before, what was his year, 71 or 72? So this mm. is, I mean, it's within living memory, but it's not, you know, this is an ancient history, right? But a 50-year arc. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, he, it wasn't just like sort of the things he did either. It was like the things he didn't do, like famously, like not build a Spadina expressway. Hmm. Um, you know, it. there were certain things he did that people now understand were right decisions, but at the time, like honked off <laughs> like <laughs> his base. Yeah. Um, like people like, small C conservatives from like rural areas in the suburbs, like things like saying like, no, we're not going to build another expressway. And instead we're going to create, or we're going to expand this thing called go transit, which when he was became premier, it was like one train along Lakeshore mm-hmm. and then turned it into several trains that went all around the GTHA, what we now call the GTHA. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, basically saying to people, Oh, you want to come to Toronto, get on the freaking train. 
Um, you know, leave your car at home, get on the train. No conservative politician could get away with that anymore. Absolutely none. I mean, I mean, look, you know, look who's currently running the province now. Is anyone going to mistake um, Doug Ford for for Bill Davis? I mean, that's not necessarily Doug Ford's fault. He's a good well, man. In a way, in a way, it is. He's an entirely different politician, and that's kind of of his own making. But you know, there were things done. Like talk about small C conservative or red Tory all you want. Like. Bill Davis was okay hawking off people if it meant it was the right decision, and there's just no stomach for that anymore. And I was reading a bit from sort of Pakin's, Steve Pakin, speaking of TVO, his remembrances mm-hmm. of Bill Davis, because I think no one's spent more time in Bill Davis' head rent free than Steve Pakin, but um, in a good way. <laughs> um, yeah. But, <laughs> uh, you know, he's talking about how there were scandals. Like during, like when Bill Davis took over as premier, the Conservatives had been in power for a while, and so there were like scandals that he inherited. Things like that we consider like kind of the grimy side of politics we all have to live with, like taking planes for family, va- like using provincial aircraft to take family vacations, and giving cronies no bid contracts, and owning you know provincial land or lands that were sold to the province and making a killing off of it in, the, in like three times as much the land is worth in profit. It's just like that stuff existed. But do you remember those things? Or do you remember TVO, five new universities? Um you know, expansion of uh, French language, um, which he basically saved. And, you know, do you, do you remember um, Ontario Place? Do you remember Skydome? Do you remember all this? Uh, and I think there's kind of a lesson there. Like, our, our political thinking now is so short-term. Mm-hmm. No politician bent... I mean, you can see this last week in Doug Ford's Ontario Place announcement, which we talked about. It's like, it's all like... Yeah, the private sectors come to us with some stuff instead of just being like a bold plan about a publicly owned asset. He's just sort of farmed it out. These groups, these politicians will just, you know, make little moves so as to avoid getting thrown out of office and 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 are so concerned to like but like it's like the we scandal. It's like not that I I'm not saying that that isn't bad, but I'm saying that, you mm-hmm. know, Justin Trudeau worries so much about getting thrown out of office because of the Wee scandal. But meanwhile, he he like what kind of legacy is he leaving? What are people going to talk about about Justin Trudeau's government? You know, fifty years from now. I mean, are they going to be talking about the carbon tax? I guess maybe if we're still around. <laughs> Spoiler alert for next segment. But um, you know, what else? What else has he done? It, it's been all about avoiding or covering up the small scandals and nothing about like actually building something for the future, which is, is, is what Davis is being remembered for. He's not being remembered for the politics. He's being remembered for the legacy. Yep. And you, I would think you could argue that about Trudeau senior in that mm-hmm. the likelihood of people discussing him, let's say a hundred years from now, which will be 50 years from Justin's time over his son. Mm-hmm. That's probably more likely. Mm-hmm. And for for the same reasons, and and Davis Trudeau are you know different parties, but products of the same time. It was literally that it was a golden period post war, when you know we'll call it settler Canada because that's what it is was being built, and all of those things were being put forward. But 
rather the key difference i think between somebody like a davis and a ford or anybody for that matter is that whereas ford is really in cahoots with corporations davis was it would have been you know kind of steering where things were going to go rather than just sort of uh submitting to them at least in my view right the the mm-hmm. difference is like you can have an alignment with the corporate world and the alignment with private money and that's that's how it, that's how the system works right regardless of what your party is mm-hmm. you're you're steering the conversation and steering things like you could you could argue that you know, well, we need go trains to get the workers to, you know, the jobs you're going to create, blah, blah. So please put your factory in, I don't know, Burlington, because there's going to be a train there. And that's literally, mm-hmm. and the same with housing along the go line. It's sort of having a vision for the future. We see, we even see it in Guelph now, right? It's like we, we didn't have the condos that we do now if it wasn't for the go line. So right. somebody like Davis saw that. You could see it coming. And uh, maybe that's, maybe that was his skill was not only being a deal maker, but also being able to see, see a bit of the future. Like, well, where is this going to go? You know, when I grew up in, in Peel, South Mississauga, there were still chunks of a rural area, but you could see how it was going. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you steer that? Now the, uh, Spadina Expressway is a good example because he actually listened to people. Mm-hmm. Now, just now, it would be an MZO. An MZO would ram this the Spadina Expressway through. <laughs> it's like we don't care that your neighborhood is going to go. We need this because, uh, you know, pick your company needs it because they're going to put their headquarters at at Bloor and Spadina. Whatever, right? Right. It it would be something like that. Ontario Place, another good example. It's like it's just you're capitulating to corporate interests rather than doing this kind of deal making. Right. It's it's. That's that's the key difference. It's still a conservative. I mean, conservatives are conservatives, right? But it's it's a it's a five decades have passed. It's a totally totally different world for them. I would I, almost erase the progressive like they did at the federal level, right? It's like I, <laughs> there's nothing progressive about conservatives in Ontario in 2021. Nothing. I don't disagree with that. What I would add though is Doug Ford would like do something like get an MZO for the for the Sabana Expressway create a massive black backlash and then quietly <laughs> get rid of it um, after months of consternation and protest and debate. Um, and that has nothing to do with vision. It has everything to do with like, I just want to get elected. again. Uh, I want to get elected again. And it, you mentioned Patrick Brown earlier and it just like Patrick Brown was someone who was trying to take the progressive back to the conservatives. It's true. He was, yep. he, I mean, such as it was, but yeah. he, he ran on that. He re- he basically was running on like, I'm going to be the inheritor of the Bill Davis legacy and take it further into the 21st century. And then he was th- basically thrown away. Um, I mean, no matter how we want to sort of phrase the, the politics of what happened. He, he was tossed out. Well, but then what yeah, is he forced out by the other interests I was talking about? That's what that's what right. happened, there, right? Right. But then what does he we do? We can't have this. We need full <laughs> corporate control, right? So, well, there's that. But then what did you know Patrick Brown do? He's like, well, first he tries to run for Peel Region Chair, Peel Region. He's never lived there. And then uh, Doug Ford takes that away. And then he runs for mayor of Brampton. Uh, he's never lived in Brampton, but somehow inexplicably wins anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it just like. Well, yeah, well, Davis well, wouldn't have done something as vindictive as take the peel chair away, right? Well, I also thought I don't the, like you. I'm going to take your chair away. Like that's that's not you're not building anything, any relationship there. 
Well, the I'm surprised I was they can to... even stand together at a podium anywhere, right? It's like <laughs> the point I was trying to get at, though, is like Bill Davis would never have done anything like that in the first place. Like yeah. Pakin talked a lot about how he like he wasn't very he actually wasn't very good on the stump. And he he didn't seem like particularly folksy. And he didn't he, he wasn't able to like really work a rope line like some politicians do. Yeah. But there was a genuineness there. People felt that he was a real person and he knew where they, they were coming from, which is. Despite Patrick Brown trying to hand, trying to inherit the policy mantle of Bill Davis, could not come close because you know Patrick Brown is just a guy who doesn't want to get a real job. I mean, not that being <laughs> I don't I don't want to be that one of those people who's like being in government is you know living uh, off the taxpayer teat or whatever. But I mean, there are certain conservatives who work in government because it's hard to get a you know. Like, a real job? Like Dan, yeah, like Dan Aykroyd says in, in Ghostbusters, like, <laughs> you've, never, you've never worked in the private sector. They expect results. And, I mean, there's a certain <laughs> class, whether it's Andrew Scheer, Patrick Brown, Pierre Polyver, uh, a certain class of conservative that hates government but loves a government paycheck. Yeah, and also just goes straight out of, of college, well, not college, university usually into yeah. that job, right? You've never You've never worked. And, I, and I've said this. I've said this before, and people know. People mm-hmm. know me that I always make that comment. It's like I, I don't really. <clears throat> I get maybe it's not my place to respect or not respect what people's origin story is, but they, it's especially when they play that working class card. Well, in Davis's example, like he, one of the differences with him is that he wasn't born of the elite, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you become the premier, you kind of travel in those circles. But Brampton was a small town back then it was literally like a country town yeah he's like a he's a country lawyer like that's maybe not like atticus finch but you know what i mean like that's it's a different origin story from ford who was born into privilege brampton is the flower city yes i'm saying (laughs) yeah uh speaking of the flowers they may not be around very more uh for very much longer if you believe the uh ipcc report and why wouldn't you because it was written by experts uh, in the field of climate science, and they are saying it is. Uh, it was in a lot of headlines that this was a red alert for humanity. Um, if you've ever watched Star Trek, you know that red alerts aren't good. Um, basically, it says uh, we have a couple of years to cut emissions, not to think about cutting emissions, not to have another meeting about setting targets. We have a couple of years to cut emissions. Or it is essentially doomsday. Um, we will reach the one point. F- it's not a matter of when. If we hit the one point five degree mark, it's a matter of if. Or excuse me, it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. So uh, pretty much all of their scenarios say that we will get there by twenty forty. We will get there sooner, like around the summer of twenty thirty four, if we continue to drag our feet. Um, and I found this particularly telling. Um, from the Canadian perspective, because they're talking, in, you know, if things keep going the way they are, um, by 2040, the average temperature, average global temperature will go up four degrees. That's average global temperature. In Canada, that would be as high as seven. So, like, we will feel it here. Like, we will burn hotter and faster mm-hmm. <laughs> than other places in the world. So, I mean, uh, kind of fitting with uh, an election coming up that we get this. Uh, report that um, a lot of political parties are going to talk about, but uh, will they do anything? I think is the real question. 
Exactly, and it, it dropped a day or two after that. And I'm sure you saw it, Adam, the footage of those people in Greece that are on the ferry and they're, mm-hmm. they're popping up and down the flames in the distance. I mean, that's that's straight out of any apocalyptic film. Mm-hmm. But the apocalypse is very real in that instance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you, if you, well, as you've seen, the, the, the fires that have been happening the past while. I mean, I'm saying the past while because I can't really put a time on it. It's it's not. It wasn't just last week. It's it's almost continuous fire. The tornadoes that we've seen, those wild dumps of rain, and there was one story that stood out for me was the how the melting everything exposed like a perfectly preserved, I think it was some kind of cub that was like tw- they figure it's twenty eight thousand years old. It's almost mm-hmm. got like a Jurassic Park element to it, and of course the naysayers will argue and they'll say well there was life there before so and then it was like so you know the melting's really supposed to happen it's like no 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 <laughs> it's it's the time frame that all of this is happening in right if if global surface temperatures have gone up in the past hundred years by a degree and the past few years have been the hottest since they started keeping decent records that they can check on mm-hmm. along with you know those ice core samples that they do uh glacial retreat the sea ice melting heat waves more intense as we've seen today probably a good example and i i was reading earlier about italy and how sicily as has had the hottest temperature ever recorded in europe it beat like a greek temperature of 50 years ago which was kind of a one-off but now it's like you know we've got Lytton here and sicily there it's just like it's it's unbelievable but it's not really unbelievable because it's here right it is <laughs> anyone who says oh no you know there's just yeah, yeah, like the, the whole report will be debunked because I don't know, like Chad from Breslau will say, well, they haven't really looked at the facts. You know, it'll be like, come on, on Facebook, right? That's what it'll be. Oh, sorry, man. Chad from Breslau, if you're actually real, but you know what I mean. That, that's that's what you see, and, it's like, and that's what we have seen. Because I, I remember, I remember hearing this in the '90s from mm-hmm. people like Suzuki and McKibben and those names that are still around. They're like, you know, if we don't have it together by 2000, the year 2000, the Y2K. Uh, we're going to be in trouble. And of course, Y2K comes and goes. It's like, oh, things are still okay. But now, but now it's like, mm, no, they were right. They might have been off a little bit off, but people see the train coming. We should have listened to them. Well, to be fair to uh, Chad from Breslau, a lot of people were calling for the end of the world in the year 2000. But I mean, uh, environmentalists are probably closer than anybody to, to being right. And you have to keep in mind, too, and I I got these numbers from the report. Basically, so far, um, we've got 2,400, I guess 2.4 trillion uh, tons of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We have room for maybe 500 billion tons more. Um, And even at that, there's a 50-50 chance... That um, if if we only release that much, we can like undo the damage. Um, in order to stop it from going up, for, in order to like draw a line in the sand at one point five degrees, we can only release like that much more. Like have like a fifty fifty chance of of stopping uh, of drawing the line at one point five degrees increase. Um, we release forty billion tons of CO two every day. Every day, 40 billion mm-hmm. tons of CO2 every day. And that's yep. to say nothing about the CO2 and the methane that is 
captured and and nobody knows for sure how what like effect that will have that's the permafrost melts and then all these gas that was um carbon locked you know yeah. uh in in the earth like what happens when that stuff's released and how i mean that's why yeah. there, there's like and the so mammoth much tusks are falling out of the sides of the melted everything yeah it's like yeah <laughs> essentially yeah so it, it's just like it, it makes you realize i mean a the scale of this um which I also think is one of the things that holds us back from from real action. It's just, I mean, and along with that too, and and I saw somebody make this point was on TV as I was writing it down, but just that you know we're living in a time right now where people are essentially giving up the fight against COVID, even mm-hmm. though you know people are like the, the rate of hospitalization and the rate of people in the ICUs in some places are higher now than they were in like any of the previous waves. Um, but like people are still kind of giving up. People are just like, yeah, well, whatever. If I get it, I get it, whatever. 99.7% survival rate, whatever. You know, this is, it's been like 16 months of COVID. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about climate change, and this was also in the IPCC report was like the damage has been done. It will take centuries, centuries to undo the damage. In the meantime, like the seas will continue to rise, glaciers will continue to melt, and so if we're if we're just like if we're giving up on COVID so close to like mm-hmm. d- defeating that after it's like sixteen months, do we have the stomach to fight climate change for centuries? But that you know that is the human style, though, right? Somebody, mm-hmm. well, and I've heard it too. It's well, I won't be around in twenty fifty, so you know. Yeah. They're not thinking of the kids or the kids' kids or the seven-generation approach to, like, you know, we should really prepare for, like, the people that will be around in 2150. Uh, oh, no, they're going to be on the Mar- on Elon Musk's Mars colony, right? Ha. Huh. But uh, <laughs> this... They're going to be at Muskville, and Elon Musk is going to have, like, a bank, like Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life, and he's just going to be giant, a freaking old miser. and Giant statues that they're going to pull down, and somebody's going to complain. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that probably won't change. Yeah, so the COVID-26 is coming up, right, in Glasgow mm-hmm. in November. Mm-hmm. haven't got my invite yet, but I'm still waiting. And uh, I'm going to sail there like Greta. But that's the thing. <laughs> the, the world needs more than these. These They're sad, these aspirational goals. Like, well, we're going to bring it down to 30% of 2003 levels by 2050. Like, no. And, of course, they need more than Gre- Greta yelling at them, which is, which is always... I hate to say fun to see because she 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 has this laser like focus and is calling them on it and they just kind of it's at the point now where they just trot Greta out. It's okay, let Greta say her thing and then she can go. But she's yeah. right. She's right. She's like the Suzuki of now. She's like, yeah, we need to do this. And oh, isn't that sweet? Gre- Greta's yelled at us, but well, I hope she does actually that. end up with some kind of political. Uh, job somewhere where she can actually get right behind the scenes and then yell at them. You know, that's right. Except it's not even about cutting anymore. And this is kind of like what the, the IPCC report is saying. It's like, it's not about cutting. It's not about cutting to 30% of this level from 19 dickety, whatever. It's like, you got to stop digging up oil. We got to stop digging up coal. We got to stop, you know, burning stuff. And, I, I don't think it was today, but you know, I see, I sometimes see Maxine Bernier's tweets in passing. And it's oh. like, we gotta, we gotta let loose the oil industry. And it's like, dude, well, no, just, what year is Penny, this? 
Jason Kenny did that to some degree too. He was the first one to trot up to the mics. He's like, but the you know, petroleum is very important. This is a cold kind. Con- that was a, it's a cold nation. I was like, yeah, there's lots of cold nations. And <laughs> Not they for deal long. With- yeah, well, exactly. There's lots of cold nations that deal with these things. Yeah, because it's like cold events are less now. I mean, I remember that Christmas Eve when I was out in the backyard and it was 14 degrees and that's you know that's not that long ago four or five years ago yeah i was like wow this is weird i don't think i've ever been outside in a t-shirt on christmas eve it's like there's something wrong with that right it's not just a one-off it's like uh, 14 on christmas eve this is this is not right no that's not right but i mean it's just there's there's just such a long way to go on this and you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, unfortunately, our prime minister who talks a good game is just somebody who is not built for the long haul on these issues. And um, meanwhile, we like the, the party that's most likely to form the next government uh, just recently discovered that you have to act on climate change, like literally earlier this year, like literally a few months ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was like, I have an idea. Uh, it's like a carbon tax, but instead of giving you back the money, we're going to like keep it and stuff and like, do stuff with it and it's like and that was like a few months after his party like at a post meeting was like no we're not going to acknowledge climate change and it's like okay great we're screwed but we'll have to leave that there (laughs) um (laughs) and uh we're gonna take a quick break and then we will talk about uh this week in authoritarianism plus olympic stuff you're listening to open sources guelph you're on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio. Cat Records, 21 MacDonnell, the little big record store in the downtown. That song is number five, or from the number five album on the CFRU chart. The -hmm. band is called Part-Time Cool, from Guelph. The album Mm -hmm. is called Fell in Love at the Punk Show. And the song is called You're My Quarantine Crush. Talk about on point. (laughs) Everything about that. Because we're only cool (laughs) part-time. But there are no punk shows. I guess the punk shows will be back soonish. Uh, we don't know. Be some so thing. Yeah, there, I was going to say there can be an outdoor punk show. It's it's doable. I think we should make that happen. Oh, great! Another project. <laughs> like we don't have enough to do. Right? <laughs> Another project right before we. Oh, but, but, hey, part time cool. If you're out there, uh, you know we need uh, we need mm. a show. <laughs> I was like, was that movie there with Andy Hardy? Was it? Let's put on a show, and they just did. They just got a drape, and okay, enough. <laughs> yeah yeah that's enough uh oh, it's the heat it's the heat it's getting me one uh an individual named uh, tucker swanson mcnear carlson uh <laughs> i have to say you have I to say his, 
<laughs> you have to say his full name just that. I have a full appreciation of just how far the silver spoon is wedged down this guy's throat. Yes. Um, but Tucker Swanson McNear Carlson uh, went to Hungary. Uh, looked like for an all-expenses-paid uh, fact-finding trip uh, to talk about how wicked awesome Viktor Orban is and his uh, illiberal regime in Hungary. Um before going any further into Viktor Orban, I just want to note, like, every time you buy a Hungry Man dinner, you, uh, five cents goes to Tucker Carlson, who will live better uh, than you ever will in your entire life. So just think about that the next time you're at the grocery store. But um, <laughs> Viktor Orban um, is thoroughly, uh, if he is not authoritarian, he has authoritarian leaning. He has all but eliminated the free press in Hungary, save for a few sort of token critics who are really on, uh, well, not his payroll, but the payroll of his allies. Uh, he's thoroughly anti-LGBTQ+, uh, so much so that it was uh, it's defined in Hungary's new constitution, um, which he amended with a very slim majority that LGBTQ+, Plus, people do not have the right to marry. Uh, a marriage is one man and one woman. Uh, abortion rights have also been outlawed in Hungary. And uh, he's also very anti-immigrant. He is anti-Muslim. Uh, uh, he is pro-strong borders. Um, and for all these reasons, he is being held up as a shining example of certain people like Tucker Swanson, McNear Carlson, as the way things should be um, in the uh, bright, shiny, white nationalistic future of the West. And uh, it's concerning because Viktor Orban is not a great guy. I don't want to admit to wanting a Swanson dinner now, but I will. <laughs> it's been a very, very long time. <laughs> I'm sure they're readily available in, in Hungary. But yeah, so of course, with everything that you've said there, and you jammed a lot in, that uh, the conservatives the world over would love this populist dictator for the most part. It's yeah, Hungary these days is a democracy like in name only. Mm -hmm. they, call, they call it that. But all of these moves that have happened so that Orban and company can control everything, control the judiciary, control the media, mm -hmm. um, it was, I think it was in 2010 when conditions were right. It seems when there is a supermajority in Hungary that they can start tinkering with the constitution. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. That was that was the kickoff for this. Orban was always, always there, has been there since, you know, the, the fall of the Iron Curtain. And yeah. weirdly, and this happens a lot, started off as a liberal, mm -hmm. not unlike Mussolini starts off as a leftist socialist and then it something happens mm -hmm. uh generally involves uh populist dictatorial control cronyism uh you know, all all of those factors that you would say well you know, this, this you're not being very democratic you're it's 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 actually echoing the characteristics of the east bloc that people wanted to get away from mm -hmm. uh in hungary particularly and i was thinking about this because I, I, the neighborhood where I grew up had a lot of Hungarian people that left in the 50s in 1956, which was the, uh, you don't really hear too much about it anymore, was the, like an, uh, the uprising in Hungary against Soviet control mm -hmm. and the Hungarian government. Uh, and those people came to Canada as refugees. 
And if there's mm-hmm. something that they really seem to hate in Hungary right now are refugees uh-huh. who are, want to get into the place, get into Europe, a gateway to Europe, uh, because of conditions that were, you know, there's there's lots of similarities, not direct, obviously, but and Orban has a wall. You know, this mm-hmm. this is like this is probably Trump fully realized if Trump was. Uh, let's say intelligent enough to put all of this together and bring all of this together. Now, structurally, Hungary is different, obviously, than the U.S. They do have something called <clears throat> checks and balances, which sometimes work. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the the fanboyism of this guy is—I find it real. It's 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 really really weird. Like you're you're going to hold this guy up as an example of a good thing uh, because I guess he takes all of those uh, conservative talking points, like the Carlsons of the world, go at individually. Uh, mm-hmm. Hatred of the other, hatred of the gay, hatred of anything different, hatred of leftists, the Marxists control everything. And you hear that and you hear shades of that from uh, conservatives and right wing uh, people here as well. They control the universities, they control everything. We need to. I didn't mean to make that sound like Jordan Peterson when I was talking there. But again, but he's another fan, too, though, right? Yeah. He's down to have a little chat. And why is like it, it, it's incredible. It's incredible to me that this. This guy is supposed to be the example of everything that's great about conservatism. It's like, guys, come on. When you said, when you were talking about like immigration, and uh, there are a couple of things on that. Number one is you're right. There are like a lot of Hungarian immigrants, and it reminded me, um, one of the leaders of like kind of the go nowhere anti mask movement here in Guelph was somebody who, uh, and I talked to her a lot. She was a Hungarian immigrant who came here like at the tail end of the cold ah. war mm-hmm. and it's like she hates communism you know she hates understandably she lived under communism but a dictator is a dictator is a dictator like it didn't matter like i don't i, I speaking as someone who's never lived under a dictatorship but i gotta think no matter what the ideological idea is that is holding up the dictatorship whether it's communism whether it's fascism whether it's you know belief in the flying spaghetti monster you know uh, living under a dictatorship is a dictatorship, but like all these people from Hungary just have like this uh, incredible fear of communism, and understandably so. But th- to get to the other thing uh, on on the Hungary side about um, immigration is, it's funny to watch or, or when you kind of understand what's happening inside Hungary. Number one is um, for various like a lot of Western countries, their birth rate is is going down. So. Uh, the way a lot of Western countries are coping with that, of course, is uh, immigration. You know, you're not people in the country and having as many babies. You bring more people in. Um, they are they do bring in people in Hungary, temporary foreign workers, kind of like where what we do here. These are the people who get the jobs, quote unquote, jobs that no other Hungarians want. And then the flip side of that is too, because Orban is such a uh, the way he is. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of young people are leaving Hungary, and because it's the EU, um, you know, they're able to go to different places across the EU to to try and find different opportunities. Because the opportunities just aren't there in Hungary because of Orban, and also because you know, younger people tend to be more progressive, and they don't want to under they don't want to live under a pseudo um, authoritarian. So, you know, a lot of the problems that he thinks sealing the border will solve are actually like problems created by him to begin with which is um i I think probably pretty fair when you also look at what's going on in the united states as well Mm -hmm. well the the sealing of the border is part of 
the playbook and a lot of these ems it's guys it's mostly guys it's all guys generally uh like orban uh we see Le Pen. <laughs> yeah oh yeah and we see shades of it in poland and uh and other places i think belarus as well so there's the sure. the strong man not necessarily a dictator but shades of it but there's this this uh bal- not even a balance it's like nationalism and religion mm-hmm. going hand in hand yeah. right so you have yep. this we we need to support the motherland by you know the women have to stay home and make babies and this is true this is like it's like you 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 know we need as you're saying mm-hmm. we need we need and it's it's kind of hidden but not really it's like we need you know pure hungarian babies that you know mm-hmm. george soros is going to take over the world uh mm-hmm. Marry that with church because there is very little church and state separation, right? There's this they 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 will go together hand in hand. Uh, mm-hmm. That that um, it's cronyism, really, right? Put all of your people in, be tight with the church, get people focused on uh, religion, and like you were saying about this Hungarian woman in town, there's that sort of uh, pining for a, for a nationalism, and that was that's something else that Orban did that was you know making ethnic Hungarians able to vote mm-hmm. that have never sat foot in hungary mm-hmm. but and of course they will go with orban because he he upholds this kind of pure ideal of what hungary is all about and and again that skews the numbers right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i you know you, you mentioned soros and it's funny uh because George Soros was actually helping to develop a university in Hungary, which has since been canceled. Yeah. yeah. And now the now and now who 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 has come forward to help build a new university in Budapest? It's the Chinese government, <laughs> right? So I mean, this is where uh, you know the uh, you know the two hemispheres of the mind of the conservative mind are really going to come into conflict because yeah. Ooh, they're communists. Oh, well, that's okay. They're going to build the university. For well, us. not just that, but like people, <laughs> the right wing in the states and in Canada too, to a certain extent, are are incredibly anti, uh, not anti China, but anti like the Chinese government ruling party of China, and you know China has brought like Hungary is China's gateway to Europe. The the what the um the Belt and uh, Road Initiative, yeah. which China has used incredibly successfully in Africa, they are doing that in Hungary too, uh, with five G. Uh, Yahweh um is like a major employer in Hungary. They're installing the five G network. Their biggest um European site is in Hungary. Um, this whole thing with the university, um, that that China is is building there, um. You know, there's just like this deep rooted relationship. And it was also proved in the Carlson interview. Um, Carlson basically said, why do people think you're such a horrible dictator, but not Xi Jinping? And then when the the Hungarian government, when when Orban's office released the transcript of the interview, guess which part was censored? Uh, Tucker's, you know, uh, zing of Xi um so it's 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 like black line right through it right (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm not sure if it was that unsubtle or not but i just like there's they control all the media so it doesn't matter right right? they can they can do whatever they want there's there's going to be a collision at some point because i i I don't know if the conservative i mean conservative minds can, can some conservative minds can handle a lot of contradicting a lot of contradiction but uh you know Hungary is awesome, um, but Hungary is also sort of building itself with uh, building itself up with thanks to China. I I 
I am curious about how long that divide can hold. Mm-hmm. Um, China's a good segue because uh, the next Winter Olympics will take place in Beijing in 2022, literally just a few months from now. Um, we're coming off the Tokyo Games, uh, the Summer Olympics. The Paralympic Games are about to get started, but the main Summer Games uh, wrapped up last weekend. It is uh, still a big question mark about whether or not the Olympics were the super spreader event. A lot of people feared they were. There are some signs that it actually was. But now a lot of eyes are on China because of uh, the political situation between Canada and China. Uh, Just to recap, Robert uh, Schellenberg was sentenced to death for drug uh, trafficking charges. Um, He's been waiting for his sentence for a long time. Michael Spavor was sentenced to 11 years in a Chinese prison. Uh, And then, uh, well, it's, I I imagine it would have to be after the prison sentence, but he was sentenced to a prison sentence and then uh, to be deported uh, from China back to Canada. Uh, We are waiting for Michael Kovrig's sentence. And all this coincidentally is happening on the same week that Mingua Zhou is getting her final hearing in British Columbia. What a coincidence. The parallels are incredible, eh? but there's there's no <laughs> there's no link whatsoever, right? Uh, yeah, and I hadn't heard of Schellenberg in a while. I remember hearing about him, yeah, and neither had I. Yeah. Went away, and then <clears throat> they get literally trotted out. Oh yeah. So they're they're not hiding this at all, and of course, in the shadow of all of this is the Winter Olympics, which Canada does quite well in, um, and. It was interesting to hear, and I heard it more than once. I think it was mostly CBC talking about the medal count from uh, the Tokyo Games and how it was the most medals. And then there's this, but at a non-boycotted Olympics. It's like, they have. it has to be this disclaimer. <laughs> right. <laughs> almost anticipating that there may be a boycott of of the, the coming Winter Olympics in China. Um, and you had mentioned Aaron O'Toole, mm. uh, previous topic, and he's out of the gate saying... Oh, you know, the, the athletes might not be safe. Like, what a, what a weird, you're not helping, guy. What a weird approach to the t- commentary on this saying, well, the athletes might not be safe. Uh, right? Like, <laughs> this, yeah. this is, yeah. on this topic, it's like, that's probably, it's it's not like Munich 72. Like, that's, this, that, safety of the athletes is probably the least of the concerns. I would think would be more concerned about COVID safety rather than, well, what's are they all going to get rounded up and sent to a camp like that? That's the implication of this, right? So, yeah, um, I don't know. Like, it, he's you know, there's I think it's something like 180 human rights groups. Now, put let's put O'Toole aside. 180 human rights groups have come out and said to call for a boycott of the Winter Games. The mm-hmm. IOC have proven that they don't care. They don't care. No, they don't care. As no. long as the as, as long as the cash comes in from the rights from whatever show they're putting on, and it is a show, yeah. it's a nationalistic show, but it's a show nonetheless. Uh, they don't they they don't care. I mean, you you have to wonder any any organization that has Henry Kissinger on the board of directors <laughs> is in my book suspect, right? I guess you can go down the list of who's from where and the famous <laughs> Dick Pound. Uh, and well, because well, when he was interviewed about the Olympic, you know, the problems with the, the Tokyo Olympics, he was saying all this stuff about, well, you know, you can, you can pipe cheering in, and like it was as if he didn't care about that whole 
you sell the athletes on this. Well, you need to you get to go and have this unique cultural experience, and the people are training for you. It was none of that. It was really weird. And yeah. we watched a teeny bitty Olympics, and you see these the crowd. There, there is no crowd, and it was it was really really weird. It was unnerving. I think in retrospect, like going back to these Olympics and possibly the Winter Olympics as well, will be this like, oh yeah, that that really happened, and there was <laughs> there was this big show. But no one was present for it. But they were watching it on TV and streaming it online. So it was okay. Yeah. Except we still kind of don't know the full impact. I mean, like, Tokyo had, like, its worst outbreak. Like, it's worth kind of, like, daily case count uh, during the Olympics. And this was after they were taking, like, exceptional precautions. Um, but apparently, the, like, bars in Tokyo were breaking curfew in order to um, have these kind of, like group screenings of, of stuff going on in the Olympics. And these might've become super spreader events in Olympic village. There were 387 confirmed cases of COVID 200 of them were from like contractors who, you know, were brought in. Like they weren't like the coaches and the uh, athletes and the people staying there for the games. They were the people who were there taking care of like the Olympic village. So like people like, Laundry workers. people, yeah, workers, laundry people, uh, cooks, um, you know, cleaners, like those kinds of people. Like more than half of the COVID cases in Olympic Village were the people who were trying to keep Olympic Village going. Um, and that and goes yeah, out into the community, right? That's well, yeah, and those people were taking it home with them, right? Yeah. Um, so on the it, tram, just, yeah. Yeah, on the tram. On the tram. Well, and, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's the real danger of, of, of the Chinese Olympics. But, I mean, Aaron O'Toole's comment, I mean, he was right up there with Swanson McNear with some of that stuff sometimes, and it doesn't it doesn't help him. But, um, I mean, public sentiment is on Aaron O'Toole's side on this. Nanos did a poll. 45% of Canadians said that there should be some kind of boycott. 90, 19% were somewhat in favor. So, I mean, that's, like two-thirds of Canadians right there um, who, who, you know, see this as not just a matter of uh, of sport, but it's, you know, it's a matter of um, a matter of politics, too. Like, why are we going to go to China and put, uh, help them put on this show? And, you know, granted, I think a lot of people are thinking about the two Michaels um, and, and Robert Schellenberg as well. But, I mean, the Canadian Parliament did pass a condemnation about the Uyghur genocide, too. Uh, and then, you know, on top of it all, you have the CEO of the Canadian Olympic, uh, the, the association that uh, that runs the, the Canadian Olympic program, say like, oh, well, boycotts aren't like, that's not good. Like yeah. sport, sport brings people together. And it's like, lady, uh, are these games really about sport anymore? Or are they about broadcast rights and, and sponsorship and promotion and nationalism? Yeah. Um, I mean, you could I, almost, I, yeah. You, I was, was going to say you could almost argue that they've never really been about sport. If you go right back to the, the origin story of the of the Olympics is kind of sketchy at best, and then there's varying degrees of. They, they don't really talk about the '76 Olympics in Canada, but I don't know if it's because it was Canada, but there was, it, there was very <laughs> little controversy in those ones, and there's been some over the years where have been, you know, the ones in Britain after the war was to kind of encourage. You would say, okay, this is almost for the right reasons, but a lot of them were for the wrong reasons, right? And and the bottom line is, like, 
Did Japan really gain anything from hosting this? COVID or no? COVID? No, they lost. Right? They're fifteen billion in the hole. They're that many billion in the hole. In China's instance, China is flush. They will just yeah. cover any overruns. China will just go burn. Okay, no problem. Japan, mm-hmm. I don't think has that ability, right? But no. China will just go, you know, because it's that's what they do. It's like we we'll just we'll just take care of it. You know, we don't need to worry about the money aspect of it, but we want to have this event and we want to showcase China. Um, but that you know this, the comments by that the the sports person you're talking about, it's that that idealism doesn't really exist. We'd like to think it exists, and it gets played up all of the time with this. You know the stories. It's usually a rags to riches. I'd never rode a bike in my life, and then I want to go to metal. Like it's always that kind <laughs> of story because that's the story that people like, and that's the stories that people want to hear. But it's a very tiny aspect of the of the bigger picture, right? Right. I mean, it, it's it is the tiny aspect, which is like at the athlete's level, like it is still kind of about that, the, the you know, the sport and the competition. But I don't think anyone is is fooling themselves that this is just like a friendly little get together between countries anymore. Like there's yeah. bil- there's billions and billions and billions of dollars at stake. And I mean, even if the China Olympics are not successful, you'll never hear about it because China. <laughs> China yeah. is not an open book. <laughs> no. So that's uh, right. Nothing against Olympians. It's yeah. Know, yeah. It's no, nothing about against Olympians. Sporting. Sure. It's impressive what they do, but mm-hmm. in the circumstances, it's like it's it's too bad that there isn't sort of a scaled down one that doesn't involve the the circus that the Olympics is. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And that brings us to another unfortunate circumstance: the end of the show. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take next week off to rest and recharge, and then we'll probably come back with our election coverage. Uh, prove us wrong, Justin. Anyway, you can stay connected to us at our website at opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. You can listen to the show again by downloading it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or on your favorite podcast app like Apple, Stitcher, Google, or Spotify. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can find my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all, literally all things CFRU, beyond listening to this fine station right here at 93.3, check out CFRU.ca. You won't regret it. No, that's, uh, I think that's a safe no regret there. Um, (laughs) No regrets, that's right. Ignore the evil laugh at the end. Stay tuned for DJ <laughs> Sounds Good to Be here at the top of the hour on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will see you in two weeks. And until Ooh. then, we'll see you next time. <laughs>